listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome to the show and thanks for welcoming me back. I've gotten so many wonderful messages from listeners about kind of how good it is to be back together in the Humanize Me space and I'm, I'm excited too. I'm glad to be here. Um, in the podcast universe, this is one of the friendliest corners I know. And so uh, insta- I've talked a lot about what's going on in my world lately. And I don't feel the need to do that right now. I just kind of want to cut right to the conversation I have to share with you. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a rainy day here in Cincinnati. And I'm comfortably ensconced here in my attic Um it's a finished attic, so you can hear the raindrops coming down and kind of gives you that cozy vibe. And I want to share this conversation with you because I've been reflecting on it a lot lately. Uh, I, it's a conversation with a fellow named Derek Gaunt, who I did not know until a listener sent me a link to his book, um, which is called Ego Authority Failure using emotional intelligence like a hostage negotiator to succeed as a leader. Now, the only part of that title I don't like is leader. I'm not a big fan of leadership as a concept, um, as a thing. I feel like our society places way too much emphasis on leadership. And I'm trying to figure out if everybody's a leader everybody's trying to be a leader, who's, who's the follower? I, I'm much more of a tribal person. And I recognize that we need leaders, but I also recognize that it does, doesn't, just because somebody's the leader doesn't necessarily mean they're the smartest or the best or the brightest. It, it simply means that they have that kind of natural ability of being able to articulate vision in a way that other people are prone to buy into. Um, and I think it's something that can be developed, but I also think there's a lot of natural stuff in it. And I just think like, you know, it's an important position to have on any team, but there are lots of important positions. And I think we give way too much pride of place to the leader. Um, but having said that, what I loved about Derek Gaunt's title is that idea of using emotional intelligence like a hostage negotiator. And Derek turns out, is actually really uh, qualified to talk about using emotional intelligence like a hostage negotiator because he was a hostage negotiator. He's been 29 years in law enforcement in Washington, D.C., which is a tough place. And most of that time, he was a team member and then the commander of hostage negotiation teams in that area. So he was the guy. And he was the guy on the other end of the phone. And we end up talking, you know, you've seen movies with hostage negotiators. And, and he and I actually ended up talking a lot about the movies that I've seen and, and him sort of helping me to understand where the truth in those movies were and where they were, you know, Hollywoodized. But more importantly, Derek taught me a lot about a different way of thinking about difficult conversations. And uh, it's funny because I'm, I'm making this introduction on a kind of a cozy day. And the conversation I have with Derek, I don't know if I would call it cozy, but it was relaxed. He is a cool, 
customer. He is an easy person to talk to. He is a person who you slow things down when you're talking with him. And, you know, it was about halfway through the conversation I realized, oh, wait. Oh, wait, this is not accidental. This is part of his whole approach to interaction. And I, I'm just excited to, to introduce you to somebody who comes at relationships with a very, very different frame of reference and yet has a super good handle on a lot of what I would call universal truths. So I'm not going to drum roll it anymore. I, I think you'll like this conversation. I think it'll be helpful, especially to those of us that have some really difficult people in our lives and that are not always in conversations standing on a position of absolute power where we have control over everything that's going on. So without further ado, this is me and Derek Gaunt chopping it up on Humanize Me. Hostage negotiation. That's kind of like talking to somebody who really is in a very different situation than you are and sees the world differently and may have very different beliefs than you have. We kind of thought that, you know, you might have insight for us about like how these, how relationships work under pressure. Mm -hmm. It's not kind of like hostage negotiation. It's exactly like it. Because I can tell you everybody that I ever dealt with in a hostage negotiations context had a different worldview than I did. And so it, it wasn't about me agreeing with them. It wasn't necessarily about me liking them. It was just me demonstrating that I understood what their worldview was in the moment. And did you have to, at, at, in, on some level, also communicate that you respected that worldview? And it was understanding enough, or did you have to demonstrate like, your position is something I, I recognize that that's a legitimate position to hold. Well, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be careful with that because is it a legitimate position to hold a two year old baby as a hostage? And the answer is, is no. So I'm not, I don't need to show the issue respect. I need to show the person respect because at the end of the day, all of us want to be understood. That's an innate human drive. All of us want somebody else to understand what we're going through, what the world looks like from their perspective, what their frame of reference is, and how the circumstances and the conversation and the environment are impacting them. And once you, that's the cheapest and most effective concession that you can make one person to another. It's easy, but we're so caught up in our own internal monologue that it gets in the way. And if you and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum and we're having a conversation, the likelihood that negative emotions and dynamics are going to rear their ugly head, it, the, the chances of that are going through the roof. And so from my perspective, I have to deal with those negative emotions and dynamics as you see it. Not as I see it, but as you see it. And the faster you do that, the faster you can establish rapport, you bring those negative emotions and dynamics down. And when they come down, rational thinking goes up. And that's the place where you guys can have meaningful discord. 
meaningful dialogue, meaningful conversation. But until that happens, it's just opposite ends of the spectrum going at each other. So, so it's funny because I want to back up just a second because I realized something like this is the first time I've ever had the opportunity to talk to a genuine hostage negotiator. And I what so. I realized, what did you say? I hope so. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> that's, that's true. I'm, that's true. That's probably a good thing. Um, but I realized like it's it, yours is a weird identity and profession because I realized that although I've never talked to a hostage negotiator nor been in a hostage negotiation, I think I know something about this because I watched Dog Day Afternoon mm-hmm. and The Negotiator mm-hmm. and John Q and mm-hmm. Inside Man. Mm-hmm. And like, I just want, like, there are all these movies about what you do. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, my first question is, I think I know something. If I've watched those four movies, do I actually know something, or am I worse than ignorant? Uh, I will not be disparaging and say that you're worse than ignorant. I will tell you that, uh, let's take the the negotiator, for example. People ask me all the time, how realistic is it? And my answer has always been, well, they got the equipment right. We do use that equipment. (laughs) You use telephones and, and, and stuff. Yeah, we use telephones and stuff. But to think that I would ever have the dominion and control over an incident like that, like Kevin Spacey had in the negotiators, just... I, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't. They, I, you know, as the lead negotiator, I don't have command staff and the chief of police um, bowing to my every whim. It doesn't. It doesn't really work like that. Uh, so they got the equipment right. Hollywood took liberties with everything else to make it more entertaining, at least from their perspective. But it doesn't really work out like that. So you haven't really learned much by watching those movies. It is, it is a one-on-one conversation though. Is it, I mean, is it you, do you end up actually talking like you've been in dozens, hundreds of these dozens? dozens okay. Mm-hmm. Do, did you end up in a one-on-one conversation with somebody at the other end where you were trying to convince them to let people go or to, to come out with their hands up or, or, or you were, or you were trying to get them to surrender, if you will. Sure. And, and, it, and it was just you and them talking. And it, and it's just, it's just me and him or her talking. What you don't see, they try to show it a little bit in the negotiator, but what you don't see is the massive amount of support that that primary negotiator has. And so this idea that it's just, all right, the negotiator's on the scene. He's got to handle everything. It's not like that. We show up as a team. And I've got, at, at, at its height, my team had 15 members. Only one of them is talking. It's like playing basketball. You can have all the stars you want on your team, but there's only one ball. Um, and so the person with the ball, in this instance, is the primary negotiator. But there's a slew of people who are providing support you know one of the one of the interesting stories from from my past is um i had a relatively new negotiator i put her on the phone for her very first call this was when i was in management supervisory position on the team not so much a talker anymore 
And she did a fantastic job. She did some of the best work that I had heard in, in 20 years. And my bosses came to me and said, hey, we want you to write a letter of commendation for her performance on this call out. And I told them, no. You want me to write a letter for the team? I'll write a letter for the team. I'm not going to write it for her as a solo negotiator because of what I just mentioned to you. Everybody else who was working just as hard as she was behind the scenes. And so we rely on each other. You want to you want to go fast? You go alone. You want to go far? You go as a team. And so it's important in any difficult conversation, whether you're talking about a hostage negotiation, a business negotiation, or just a difficult conversation between parties, if you control the environment, go in with a wing person, go in with somebody who can sit there and pick up on the things that you are going to miss, because invariably, Bart, you're going to miss things that the other side is trying to convey. And it could be of import. It could be the linchpin that changes the conversation into the direction you want to go in, because you're so engaged you're going to miss it when it gets by you. And that wing person is there to, to pick up the garbage, so to speak, to catch those crumbs. So when, 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 you would have a, when that woman had a team, when she had other people around her, mm -hmm. they were listening to the conversation. Mm -hmm. so, or at least some of them were, right? Correct. And they were, what, like passing her a note saying, hey, ask him this, or, or, hey, I think she's upset about this. You might want to... Is, is that what it is? It's, it's like yeah. people giving you suggestions? Yeah, there, there's layers to it. So when we send the primary in, the primary doesn't go alone. The primary goes in with a coach. The coach's job is to make sure that we have a pristine environment from which to conduct the negotiations. We limit the distractions and we limit verbal communication when the mic is hot. So when she's online with the bad guy inside of the house, there's not a lot of whispering going on. We're passing notes to your point. Uh, or we're pointing at notes that we've made on whiteboards that are around the office, wherever we're conducting the negotiations. Um, now, people on the outside, the support team, they may have ideas as to what we should be saying or how the conversation should be going. In fact, they normally do. Their job is to get that information to the team leader who vets it, and the team leader gets it to the coach who vets it before giving it to the primary, who's the ultimate arbiter as to whether or not she actually says whatever is on the note. And so it, it, it's systematic and we have filters. Um, and one of the biggest challenges for a coach is to not overcoach. Because again, if you're the primary and I'm your coach, I don't have as much pressure on me. So I'm going to hear a bunch of things that you miss. But if I keep inserting myself into the process by throwing notes down in front of you, I'm taking 50% of your brain offline from the communication. And so now not only are you listening to the bad guy, you're trying to listen to me or you're trying to read my notes and it can become distraction. So it takes a lot of discipline to be an effective coach. It takes a lot of discipline to support that primary. And, and, and maybe I'm ahead of myself, but I'm thinking like, if I'm going to have a difficult conversation, if you're going to, not me, if you, if you were going to have a difficult conversation, you anticipate to say with your, your son, Mm -hmm. or your or or your 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 uh your partner at work mm -hmm. what's the kind of real life equivalency or what's the real life application of take a coach or don't do it alone like is there a way for you in a in a real relationship do you, do you feel like you ever access the support of other people in other in, in those kind of conversations 
In business dialogues, it's important. It's going to be harder for you to do in your personal life. Okay, so when you're talking with a family member and you say, oh, hey, I want to bring in your sister to be my coach, to sit in on this conversation, it may not fly as well because the conversations are usually of a more intimate nature when you're dealing with family members. So it's a little bit harder to bring in a wing person or a coach. But professionally, any difficult conversation that you're going to go into, you should think about bringing somebody else into that conversation with you and to lessen the suspicion or the sting of bringing somebody else in, you know, just prep them before the conversation. Say, look, how bad of a position is it going to put you in if I have, you know, Denise sit in with us as we talk about X, Y, and Z. And, and the person that you bring in has to be appropriate for the situation. If you're, if you're bringing in an employee to discuss some kind of performance issue, you're probably not going to want to bring in one of her or his colleagues to sit in with you. You probably want to have somebody who is at the rank that you are or higher. Um, but otherwise, you're doing yourself a disservice if you go into these conversations because you, you're doing it knowing you're going to miss things. And that's just not a smart way to do business. It's funny. It's funny that you say that because I I feel the same way about really hard interpersonal conversations. So I, I often try to I try to get somebody in the room with me, like where I'll say, "Hey, um, I'm you know I'm just gonna have like I want to talk to you about this, but like I'm you know with my son or my daughter, I might say like, would it be okay if?" I want Tyler there too, or that's my daughter's husband, or I want mom, mom to be there too. Not because we're going to fight, but just because like, I really want to make sure I don't miss anything. And I find that sometimes, again, it's got to be the right person, mm-hmm. but I, I, you do, there is something about, we miss a lot. We miss a lot in our conversations, don't we? Yeah. And, and, and when you get out in front of it like that, you're taking the uncertainty out of the equation. What are people most afraid of in the world? They're afraid of uncertainty. Whereas if you're, you're up front, hey, I, how bad of a position would I put you in if I brought, brought Bart in on this call or on this conversation? It's not going to be a surprise. And without surprises, there's less fear. That's what people are afraid of the most is, is uncertainty. And, and fear is the single biggest driver of human decision making and behavior. You know, it's funny because I think like it's one thing if you say, I want to bring some, I want somebody to sit with us to make sure that I hear you, to make sure that I don't like, cause I feel like I, sometimes I don't hear you well enough and I want to make sure that it's one thing to say that it's another thing to say, I want somebody in to back me up. Exactly. You know, exactly. I, like I want to team up on you. Like we're yeah. going to do, you're, you know, they're not, you know, so I think like if you sort of say like, this is to keep, you know, to keep me from missing anything. Exactly right. Um, I think people go like, oh, well, that takes some fear out of the equation. If I exactly. go, listen, it's going to be two on one in this thing, you added fear into it. Exactly. So, so the, the interesting thing is like when you're negotiating with somebody, I feel like you're already in a difficult situation because their outcome, by the time you get to a negotiation, don't they know they're going to jail? Yeah, so no, you see, you're, 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 you're trying to infuse logic in a situation that's <laughs> illogical. 
right? You know, there's, um, you know, what, what do we hear often or what did we hear often? You know, back off, go away, leave us alone. Somebody's going to get hurt. Well, you and I both know the fastest way to get police to leave you alone is not to take hostages. If you take a hostage, that's pretty much a guarantee that we're going to stick around for a I while. I can't leave you. Literally, I can't leave you alone. Right. And you know that. I know that. If I take the bad guy out of that situation, he would know that. So what's the hang up? The hang up is he is responding emotionally to a highly stressed event. And he's defensive and afraid. When they're defensive and afraid, that amygdala activates. When that amygdala activates, you might as well take your prefrontal cortex and cut it out of your brain and throw it into the trash because it's not working. There will, be, so, no re- there will be no reason. No. And so that's why he can't see it because that amygdala is, is going in hyperdrive. And as a result, their ability to process has been impeded, which is what I, I mentioned earlier. When, when emotions are high... Rational thinking is low. And so you can't go in saying to yourself, doesn't he know that this is going to end bad for him? He's going to have to go to jail or worst case scenario, he's going to die. No, they're not thinking about that at all. They're thinking about survival in the moment. If they had time to do it all over again and think about it, they probably wouldn't have taken hostages in the first place. But as a result of them losing something in a rapid fashion, it leads them into a crisis state because they were not prepared for it. And so the, the robbery takeover that turns into a hostage taking, it, that flips their plan on the ear and they have no cognitive map to, to, to compensate for that. And so it's my job to diffuse those negative emotions so I can get him to the spot where he sees, yeah, probably the best thing for me to do right now would be to come out. But I can't rush him into that. So in a, in a sense, before you can talk to that person, you have to talk to their fear. Yes, you got. You have to talk. If if I want or I need or in your head or in the head of your counterpart, it is by definition a difficult conversation and there's going to be negative emotions. And if you focus on anything but those negative emotions initially, it's going to be equivalent to running your head into a wall trying to break it down, bring it down. So. so- So you want this before you get this. You want this per, before you can get this person to act differently. You've got to get them to feel differently about me, about you. Yes, like and, and the, the, end, key, the key, the key thing to that feel about you is that they need to not be afraid of you. And by extension, what does that what does that translate into? Trust. It translates into trust. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Anybody anywhere on the planet would do anything for you if it was in their capability and if they trusted you. That's the bottom line. People will sign the contract if they trust you. Your kid will complete their college application if they trust you in the moment. The hostage taker will come out if he trusts me. And that trust doesn't happen as soon as he picks up the phone. So it's about going from fear of you to trusting you. That's right. Okay. So like, everybody said like, well, you just, you just need to demonstrate empathy, man. You just need it. Like you just need, like, you know, I'm like, please, 
how do like how do i do that like what is the exactly. most important like you know like it's sort of like saying like well just be understanding yeah yeah, yeah. How do I how do I go from how do I practically get somebody who's afraid of me, or, or who's afraid that they're going to lose something to me, to trust me? What's what's the most important trait or characteristic I've got to have to make that happen? All right. So first of all, you have to have the ability to be deferential, and you have to have the ability to subordinate yourself to the other side. It's not about you and where you want to end up. That's where most of us make our mistakes. We have a goal and objective in mind and we want to go into the conversation with our goal and objective and throw it on the table and say, here's why you should make this decision. And the other side says, well, wait a second. I'm not ready to do that yet. You have no idea what this is doing to me. You have no idea what these how these circumstances are impacting me. And so it's all about how you sequence the conversation. In other words, my goal and objective as a hostage negotiator was to get everybody out and get the bad guy to put his weapon down and surrender. How many times do you think I led with that during the course of a conversation? How many times do you think in in all of my years doing hostage negotiation, I called inside the crisis site and said, hey, Bart, it's Derek. Listen, my goal and objective is to make sure everybody gets out. Okay, so why don't you release those hostages, put your gun down and come on out. I never led with that. And so... To the layman, they're scratching their head. Well, why? That's your ultimate goal and objective because I haven't taken the time to understand what Bart's worldview is right now. The sooner I demonstrate an understanding of that, the more those negative emotions get dissipated and the more his rational thinking begins to return. It can take five minutes. It can take five hours. It can take five days. It's all depended on the circumstances and the person. What did you like, like, so like if I, if I come in there and go like, Hey, I want you to understand I'm a negotiator. My goal is to get everybody out of there alive, to get you to put down your weapon and accept going, getting arrested. Like you like, I would never start there. Okay. Cause that's not where he's, he or she is at. Mm-hmm. What do you like when, what do you, where are they at? Like in the sense of like, what do you, at that moment, what do they want? Like when you say like, I need to figure out where, what, what that person's wanting, what they're thinking, what they're hoping for, what are they hoping for when you meet them? Somebody to listen. It goes back to what I said at the beginning of the call, regardless of the circumstances, the other person wants you to understand what's going on with them. And so my, my first question on almost every one of these was, how did we get here today? How did we get here today in this spot where you're inside that building and you're surrounded by 50 cops that put you in this state of heightened uh, fear? How did we get here today? And that is what st- starts the ball rolling for them to dump their buckets. That's what I'm trying to get them to do, to vent. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. And everybody wants to tell their story. And if you listen to, if you Google or you go on YouTube and and you Google hostage negotiation, there are clips that you can listen to of actual negotiations and you can hear when the negotiator starts to lock in with the bad guy. There's, 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 there's always a 
tell during the conversation. My favorite tell is when I hear <sighs> on the other end of the phone. That's when I know that I'm starting to make inroads. When they start to cry on the other end of the phone, that's when I know I start to make inroads. When they start to talk about the future, that's when I know that I'm starting to make inroads because now they're not operating from an emotional perspective. They're starting to think about what happens next. And so it's the key is to not be impatient, to not rush it. Which well, is, it's, it's funny because the, t- the first word in the title of your book is ego. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you're saying is, is like, the most important thing you do at the beginning is you defer and you subordinate. Yep. You go like, this is about you. This is not about me. It's about, this is about what happened to you, not about what I want to happen now. Correct. Okay. So like, there is a sense in which, like, on, almost lesson number one is, at the very beginning, it has to be about that other person. Absolutely. And, and how does it start to become about that other person? You have to stay genuinely curious. I don't care how long you've known this person, five minutes, 15 years, as it pertains to the conversation that you're in, you have to go into that conversation assuming that you have something to learn, even if it's with a family member. Assume that there's something going on on the other side that you have no clue about, because there usually is. The behavior which you are addressing when you're engaging another person in a difficult conversation is the byproduct of something else. There's something else going on with them. And if you can 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 peel back the layers of that onion and determine what the motivating factor is, it goes a long way in your demonstration of what we call tactical empathy. In every difficult conversation, there's going to be a presenting dynamic or emotion and there's going to be a latent dynamic or emotion. And so your challenge is, how do I find that latent dynamic or emotion? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm la- the only reason I'm laughing is I have literally never heard the phrase tactical empathy. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, like we think of empathy as this warm, fuzzy thing and tactical. We think of it as like strategic and military and I go like tactical empathy. That's brilliant. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, we, we call it tactical empathy because we want to differentiate it from Dan Goldman's cognitive empathy and his explanation of emotional empathy. Emotional empathy is a, um, is a, a, um, it's a subjective state brought on by the emotions of another. And that's when you hear people say, you need to feel what the other person feels in order to, to demonstrate that, that empathy. No, you don't. You don't need to feel, you don't need to walk in their shoes. You need to see through their eyes. And that's not feeling their pain, that's seeing what they see. And that's, and that's the difference between uh, emotional empathy and tactical empathy. Tactical empathy is deliberate. It's your deliberate attempt to demonstrate an understanding of the, of the perspective of the other side and your verbalization of that perspective. That's what the key is. And the best purveyors of tactical empathy on the planet are hostage negotiators and sociopaths. Right, 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 right. I know, yes. Yeah. 
that's the whole thing about sociopaths is they don't care, but they will understand you to the degree that they need to understand you to get what they want. They are susceptible to it. They won't demonstrate it unless it serves a purpose, but they are highly susceptible to it. Why, you know, the story I like to equate to the tactical empathy uh, concept is why was Ted Bundy so prolific? Ted Bundy was executed for the murder of a 12-year-old girl in Florida. Do you know how many women he killed? He admitted to 30, I think. It's probably three times that. Women we will never see again. Now, how was this monster able to get otherwise intelligent women into compromised position that ultimately cost them their lives? Tactical empathy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny. What makes me think about it is, is that I get around a lot of people that have fractured relationships with family members or spouses around faith issues. Mm -hmm. And when you start talking to them about empathy and needing to listen and and be curious, many people will say to me, it's impossible for me, like, to feel what that person feels like, like they believe in something that makes no sense to me. Like, like I can't feel them. And I've never thought of it this way, but what you really said, like, I'm not asking you to feel what they feel like, you no, you can't, you can't create an emotional state within yourself where you're like, this is what it feels like to believe in God. If, if you if you don't believe you can what's more is they can't do it either they can't imagine what it would be like not to believe in god right but there is this tactical empathy where you can go like but like assuming that you know like knowing where they're coming from this is what they're seeing out of their eyes exactly if you wanted this to happen and you saw this frame this is what you would be seeing that's exactly right and the important thing and I can't reiterate this enough, is for you to verbalize that you get what they see. Intuitively, most of us understand where the other side is coming from. That's not where we have a problem. Where we have a problem is actually verbalizing it, speaking it into the ether. That is the only way that the other side is going to know whether or not you truly get it. And, and your gut is going to tell you what's going on with this other person. Your, your conscious brain, it, it, uh, the, the author is, escapes me, but the book is called The Biology of Belief. And in the book, he cites a stat that says your conscious brain processes 40 bits of information per second. Your subconscious brain, i.e., your intuition. Any idea? I, I've got to be an order of magnitude larger. Twenty million bits of information per second. Twenty million bits of information per second is what you're pro- you're processing right now on this call. Things that are going on in your environment, you have no conscious appreciation for. And, and you know, not to not to put too fine a point on it, but like I. The, 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 the time when I became most aware of the truth of that was um, a number, like, like not that many years ago when for spiritual exploration reasons, I tried LSD. And 
all of a sudden, all of these things locked up in my brain, like from experiences I had years ago. And it was like in detail and factors like, all of a sudden I was like, there's so much more in my brain mm-hmm. than what I, like I consciously put this here, but on that same day, my subconscious was putting 20 million times more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, 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 I experientially sort of go like, yeah, your subconscious is taking a lot. Yeah. And, and, and it processes a lot. There, there are, there are people at work right now trying to duplicate the computing pass capacity of the human brain for a laptop or a desktop and it's never going to happen it's never going to happen it's it's uh it's one of the main reasons why 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 can't self-driving cars stop killing people they can't stop killing people because people do illogical stuff the 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 self-driving car is driving down the street and there's a guy walking a bike in the bike lane the car picks it up as a potential hazard and then at the last minute dummy on the bike decides to go off into the lane of traffic. It's an incomputable, if that's a word, action to make. The computer can't process it, and so boom, it runs the guy over. Whereas you and I, we'll see the same guy on the same street, and we're driving the car, and we're like, eh, look at this idiot. I think I'm gonna move over a lane. Yeah, While I'm still eating my hamburger and listening to my music and texting and doing all the things that we do in a car. Is that whole Malcolm Gladwell adaptive unconscious? Why a cop will know somebody's got a gun and they can't tell you why they know it. They just feel it. Yeah. Because their brain is putting together a bunch of a data that they can't, they're not consciously processing it, but they're just like, this is what it feels like. This is what it looks like. That's how a person stands when, and they just know. Yeah. They, they just know there's, 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 there's a, the furtive gestures. Why does his hand keep going to his waistband like that? Why, why, why does he keep adjusting his shirt? Um, it, it's all of those things. It's like when you're walking down the street late at night and you come to an intersection, you look to your left and down half a block down three silhouetted figures. You can't see race. You can't see what they look like, but they're standing under a burned out street lamp and you elect to go the other way. And there's been no contact between you and those three people. Why did you elect to go the other way? It's your intuition. That thing has kept us alive for thousands of years. Okay, so back me up because what you were saying, the jumping off point for that little disquietation was you said, the problem isn't that we don't instinctively pick up on where another person's coming from or what they're feeling. You said, we don't communicate it. We don't communicate. We, we don't communicate to them. I'm seeing things through your eyes. Right. And we don't communicate to them that we understand the latent dynamics at play. Example, I, I say um, I say to you, Bart, I can't believe she's doing this to me again. She slept with my best friend in my bed in my house. This is killing me. I hate her. What did you hear? I, I mean, I hear you're, you're very hurt and upset. That's surface level stuff. What else did you hear? Um, you mean deeper stuff, like deeper emotional stuff? Yeah. Um, that you feel violated. What else? I, I don't know. Now I feel emotionally unintelligent. Um, uh, you, I hear you're, you want to, you, you say you want to kill her, but I don't think you really want to kill her. What else? The fact that it's your best friend makes it worse. Why? Uh, 
because you thought he cared about you and it's in your bed like your your identity has been challenged you're 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 now you now you're getting there now you you hear all of the things that your gut picked up on that i never said i never said that i thought he cared about me i never said that i felt betrayed you picked up on the hurt because i said yeah this is killing me that's surface level stuff but the betrayal the lack of respect in my house my bed are you kidding me and so that's what I'm talking about when I say go after the latent, the surface level stuff. Oh, you sound angry. That Yeah, that, yeah. Okay, I am angry. But what else did you hear in that? Another example. Uh, we do this all the time in corporate training. I tell you, you're a police negotiator. I'm a bank robber. I'm trapped inside the bank and I'm holding hostages. And I tell you, I want a car in 60 seconds or she dies. What did you hear? I want a car in 60 seconds or she dies. What did I not say by saying those words? What did you not say? You, you, I don't know. I'm, I'd be terrible at this job, Derek. Well, I, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Because I mean, you did, your, your gut is screaming at you right you now. You didn't say what's going to happen if, you're gonna get, if you get the car. No, I didn't. What did I say? Or what did I not what did I not say by using the words I want a car in 60 seconds or she dies? The bottom line is what I'm saying to you is I got something I want to live for. Oh my. Yeah, you did say you want to stay alive, don't you? Yeah. That's a lot for you to work with. Now that I think about it, because right, because some hostage, some people are like once I get done making my point here, I'm going to kill myself. There right? are people like that. Right. But, but this guy wants a car. So he's trying to get out of here. He, why is he trying to get out? Because he wants to live. Why else? Because um, he's got some, somewhere to go. Why else? Go deeper than that. Why would anybody want to leave? Because uh, he doesn't like where he is. Why doesn't he like where he is? He's scared. There you go. Did he say he was scared? No, he said, I want a car in 60 seconds. But intuitively, you pick up the fact that this guy is scared to death and he's got something to live for. That's where you need to focus on. Sounds like you got something that's really important to you that you want to live for. Mm. Sounds like you're scared to death in there and you don't know which way to turn. So you're listening for the emotional content. Yeah, you're listening for that latent motivation. We're always on the hunt for motivation. We never get wrapped around the axle. I don't want you or your listeners to ever get wrapped around the axle again because somebody said something or somebody did something. Where your focus should be is why did they say it? Why did they do it? Because there's always another message behind there. There's always more information. Now, going back to that that scenario with the husband and wife thing that we just went through. Um, you labeled surface level stuff. Sounds like you're hurt. That's not hateful. But that's basically what came out of my mouth. When you start to identify stuff that I don't say, there's no clearer way for you to, to demonstrate to the other person that you're dialed into them. When you start to verbalize things that they have not said, 
There's no clearer message to send to them that I am dialed into this conversation and I understand what your frame of reference oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, because like when people who have who've gone through religious trauma call me and they'll tell me four things and I'll say, yeah, and then and then this then you felt this way or then this happened. And then I bet that I bet you were scared of this. And they go like, how did you I, I didn't say that. But I was like, I've been around this block so many times. And then they sort of go like, oh, you get me. Like, yeah. you, know, you know where I'm coming from. Because like, yeah. you, you know what's in the room, even though I didn't tell you everything that was in the room. Because you've yeah. been in this room. That's exactly right. Or you're picking up data. You're just picking up data from being in the room. Maybe it's the first time that you've been in this room. That's the beautiful part. That's the beautiful part about this stuff is that we're not making anything about a whole cloth. We're telling the people that we're dealing with, this is what you're giving me. I just repackaged it and gave it back to you. And so you're always on safe ground, which is why we formulate those labels the way we do. It looks like it seems like it sounds like we're not saying this is a fact. We're saying this is our interpretation of the facts. This is our interpretation of the data. I might be wrong, but yeah, we don't we don't even, we don't even put out. We might be wrong, but we just put it out there. If you're wrong, what's going to happen? No, nah, I didn't. Mean it. They'll what? tell you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. The desire to correct is irresistible. That's one of our laws of negotiation gravity. People can't wait to tell you how you got it wrong. And in telling you how you got it wrong, they're, they're more likely to give you more candid information, reliable information. True, it, the, we, there are times when we will intentionally mislabel oh, a fact in, in a conversation. So they can order. correct you. Let them correct so, you. So let them correct you because you're and then tell them, get, And then tell them, Oh, thank you. I, I was wrong about that. And then they trust you all the more. Like if you ever concede a point, if you ever admit that you're wrong, if you ever go like, thanks for correct, then they go like, oh, I trust him more because he listens to me. Yeah. And, and and what have you done when, when you've mislabeled, you put them in a position of superiority. That's what the correction does. They get a dopamine hit when they're correcting you. And I'm the ex- they're the expert. And the dopamine hit feels so good. Telling you no feels, no, you don't have it right. Here's what the deal is. And now you've gone in support of what we talked about earlier. So you win either way. You put something out there. You you put an emotional uh, conclusion or emotional uh, surmise out there. If you're right, they go, he gets me. If you're wrong, they correct you and go like, I I feel good when I talk to him. And and to, to that point, Getting it right is not the key. The attempt to get it right is what's important. Because they go, oh, he's interested in my feelings. He's interested in me. He's not just interested in getting what he wants or getting me to act a certain way or winning the argument. He actually is interested in me because that's why he's making points that are about what I feel inside. That's right. And, And you immediately separate yourself from the rest of the population. Because the level of empathic listening that we're talking about takes work. That's why most people don't do it. It takes too much work. Most of us spend our time at levels one and two of listening. Level one is intermittent listening, where I'm going to listen to you long enough until I get the gist of what you're saying, and then I'm going to refocus on my own internal model. (laughs) Say what I got. Yeah. Or level two, it's called rebuttal listening, where I'm listening long enough to you say something I can argue with. Now I'm just waiting for you to shut up so I can tell you how wrong you are. That's where most of us do our dancing during the course of the day. That would be Bart listening. 
And that's, yeah, Bart listening. And, and so listening at an empathic level takes too much work and people are inherently lazy. And so that's why most people don't do it. So my point is, when you start to do that, it's a game changer for you and your relationships. If you do not believe me, and I'm speaking to even your subscribers, go out to your local coffee shop. Ask the barista how they're doing. Whatever response that they get, hang a label on that response. Ah, it sounds like you're having a cruddy day. Sounds like you're having a great day. And watch how much more information you get out of them because they get asked, how are you doing 100 times a day? 99 people out of 100 don't really care. When you set yourself up as that one person who genuinely does, they're going to open up and tell you much more than what you bargained for. And you're probably going to make the people that are behind you angry because now the barista doesn't want to let you go. Right, right. But you, I mean, you have just, you have just let them know that your primary interest in this conversation is them. And, you know, when I think about the conversations that people have in their families and in their relationships that are these conflictual things where they're arguing over who's right about any number, God, politics, mm -hmm. you know, you know, it, the sense that the reason we're having this conversation is because I want to access your emotional landscape. I want to know why you feel the way you feel or why you're doing like it's almost never. And so it's like, I want to, I want to listen long enough to, so I can find the thing, the place where you're wrong. And, uh, and we get to that cycle of argument based thinking, right? So we got it. We don't consider what else has their attention. So, uh, we start to push. Yeah. Something else has their attention. We push harder. We talk louder. Their response is defensive. And then you get caught in that cycle of argument-based thinking instead of just taking a step back and saying to yourself, there's something going on here that I have no clue about. Let me be curious about that. And, and politics, religion, always going to be difficult conversations. Always. You need to accept the fact that at some point during that difficult conversation, you're going to get attacked for no reason. It's going to come out of left field. It's not going to make any sense. It doesn't matter. If you accept that fact going in, you're more, you're, I'm sorry, you're less likely to get triggered when it occurs. When you were negotiating with, like, did you get attacked in those conversations where somebody would all of a sudden turn on you and be like, oh, oh for sure, for sure, for sure. They, could, they would call me everything but a child of God. Tell me what they were going to do to my mother and my sister if they ever saw them in the street and, and how I wasn't, you know, I was Satan's spawn and, and, and the whole nine yards. They would just go completely uh, ballistic. I accept the fact that that's going to happen. Why? Because it's coming from an emotional place. When you get attacked during a conversation, most of us flee from that attack. Or, 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 or attack, attack back. Attack back, yeah. And the problem with both of those is if you ignore it, it hasn't gone anywhere. It's going to come back. And if you attack back, what have you, in effect, done to your counterpart if you attack them back? You have actually made them dumber. You make your counterpart dumber. Why? 
because now you're a threat. And if you're a threat, the amygdala activates and the prefrontal uh, cortex is bypassed. And And you've also proven them right. Like they were saying you're an asshole. And when you attack them back, they go like, oh. Give some credence to that. Yeah, there you are. I was right. And people miss the fact that our brains work up to 31% better, more efficiently when we're in a positive state. So I get I get uh, questions like that all the time from coaching clients. You know, when is it okay for me to to uh, to attack them back when they're attacking me in a conversation? Can I can I do that? And I said, sure. If you want to make him dumber, then attack back and and see where that gets you. So I got one. I got I got one question that is. So it's funny because like, I, I know that in many ways, negotiation, you know, I, I think I heard you say in one of your talks that um, it's about compliance. Like I'm always trying to get somebody to buy something, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, and so the, all, all of this stuff about building trust, like you're building trust on the way to like, once they trust you, hopefully then you can, you can, you can offer them, something that you go like, I really think this is in your best interest to do this, to let these people go. And they go like, well, I trust you. You wanna, I don't necessarily, I'd love to hear those words. They don't always come out that way, but you can tell by the tenor of the conversation. Uh, For example, uh, the guy uh, took over a pawn shop and for the first hour and a half of the pawn shop, hostage taking um, he referred to himself as Keith 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 now I knew that's not what his name was I knew who we were dealing with on the inside but whose frame of reference was I operating from mine or his he wanted to be Keith I let him be Keith fast forward 90 minutes into the conversation and all of a sudden he says hey look man I'm going to be straight up with you my name's not Keith it's Mike. There's no bigger tell that I have established rapport with this guy because he's given me his true identity. Not because I didn't know it. Like I said, we knew it all along who he was. But the fact that he now trusted us enough to give us his real first name means that we did our job in using tactical empathy to establish rapport. And now I'm at that point where I have trust-based influence with this guy. And so now I can start to to direct his decision making and ultimately his behavior. And 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 he's and he's also he's less fear the trust is the opposite of fear so he's less he's more in his head he's less in his in feelings. His feelings, yeah. Yeah. So so here's my thought, my question is have you ever been in one of those situations where like you had somebody going but then an audience comes around them and goes, like, "You gonna, you wanna give it up to that guy? You gonna do like?" And and all of a sudden, they're no longer just talking to you. Like it's, I find it's much harder for me to back a kid down if he's surrounded by his boys because he doesn't want to lose face in front of them. Um, and so, yeah. the audi- do do you find that, like, even if you're one on one with somebody, are you aware of who's around them? And, and like, does, does the audience or, or the surrounding people, the other voices, 
Does that affect the conversation a lot? Um, it can. I've never experienced it personally. I've read case studies of multiple actors before. I've never dealt. Uh, this this pawn shop was the only time that I dealt with multiple actors. There were two suspects in this okay. case. Okay, right, right. Um, but to, to your point, um, yeah, outside influences often impede what you're trying to do. Look at social media. How many barricades and hostage situations have you seen going up on Facebook Live where they're, hey, the cops are outside my house right now. And then, you know, people are, are, are no, is that a thing? Is that, a thing? is that a thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and dude, does, that, does that make it harder or easier for that negotiator? It, it makes it immensely hard, not only for the negotiator, but for everybody else who's managing the event. Because now the person is, is saying, hey, you guys come on down to Fifth and, and, and Winslow. My house is on the corner and, and, and tell these cops to back off. And now you've got a, a flash mob showing up on your scene that's muddying up the works. And so anytime that you have outside influences, it's going to be problematic. It it it. It's harder, but you got to stay the course. You stick to your training. Your training is always going to bail you out. So, so I mean, I, I've taken a lot of your time, and that's before we even got started. So I, I want to ask you one question that I, I always ask people if I actually like them. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that is, what do you wish, like, like you're, you're talking to somebody like me who's, who knows very little, but is genuinely curious. Like you've probably figured it out. Like I'm totally into, like I'm, I'm really interested in what you're saying. Yeah. When you're in that conversation, like, I guess what I'm wondering is like, what do you, what, sh what do you wish I would ask? Or like, wh which, like, what, sh what do I not know enough to know is important that I should be asking you? What does it take? to influence people into doing what you need them to do. Now, we've kind of touched on that in the time that we've been on, but specifically speaking, what do I need to do in order to influence people into doing what I need them to do? And that is put your goal and objective on the back seat. And let's figure out what's going on with the other side. Your goal and objective is always going to be there. In fact, your goal and objective may change based on what you learn during the course of the conversation. You need to understand that this conversation, not only is are you in pursuit of a specific goal and objective, but more so you're in pursuit of information. This is a guided discovery process. Everything that you need to know about what is going to move the needle with the other person, they're going to tell you if you're just willing to put your needs and your wants in the rear view mirror, I'm not saying that you're never going to get to them, but it's not, it's not where first, it starts. That's not where it starts. The first 75, 80% of the conversation should have nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. And, and, and you touched on this at the beginning. I wrote it down. I didn't follow up on it, but it, it, it stuck with me as this idea of, I said, do you need to respect a person? And you said, issue respect, I can't, I can't you know, I can't give you that. Like you're, you're doing something that I don't respect or you're, you believe something or you think it's okay to do something that I don't think it's okay to do. But person respect, I can give you. Right. And, and, and so I hear you saying it's almost like 
it's almost like in sports where they say like play the person not the position you know like like look at the person you're playing against and play that person like focus on that person mm-hmm. rather than like you're like just running the play the way it's you know you, you have to play yeah. the person who's on the other side of the net right deal with what's right in front of you and so I, what i hear you saying is like listen if you want to if you like strangely enough if you want to get people to do what you need them to do you have to stop thinking about what you have to you, you you can't begin by what you need them to do you have to you have to put that aside and yeah. really figure out who who is this person and more importantly like what are they seeing mm-hmm. what are they fe- like what do they see that tactical empathy like what's their worldview look right. like and and what what are the negative opinions assumptions and impressions that they have about you what are the negative opinions, assumptions, and impressions do they have about the environment, the conversation, the circumstance? You need to to get those out of the way as as quickly as you can in order for them to get returned to the NFL. You know what the NFL is? No. Normal functioning level. Oh. It's not the National Football League. It's a normal functioning level. So I that's our goal is to get everybody back to that normal functioning level. It starts with understanding how do they view it? How do they view me? One of the best ways for you to be preemptive as far as addressing negative dynamics and negative emotions is to ask yourself, if I were them, what would I be thinking about me? If they were standing on a street corner with a bullhorn and they were hurling invectives about BART and everything that BART represents, what would you want to stand next to them and deny? That's a great place to start demonstrating tactical empathy is with those accusations audits so like think about like what are they probably thinking about me and and in a sense try to address those things like not, not mm-hmm. you, you you wouldn't come out and say like you probably think that i just want to do this yeah. yeah that's exactly what you're saying you would let them know like this is what i think if i were you this is what i would be thinking about me i, I wouldn't say if i were you i would just say the way you said it before you probably think that this is just a, uh, a strong arm tactic on my part. You probably think that I'm being greedy. This is a money grab. You may even be thinking that I'm trying to take a stand and impose my will. And at the end of the day, you're probably wondering why you agreed to take this meeting in the first place. Right, right. I'm, I guarantee you that they're probably thinking all of those things on some level. And so when you start to pop those bubbles or those balloons prior to them saying it, you look like a, a mind reader. They're like, wow. How does he, how, why is he in my head right now? Or you're wrong and I, and I correct you. And once again, I feel really great because I'm an expert and I go like, actually, I wasn't thinking that at all. What I was thinking was this. And then I, and then you tell me what you were thinking, which is good information. Right. It's more information that you are now smarter as a result of it. Yeah. Cause I can, it's almost like a version of the barista thing where I can imagine you, I can imagine saying to somebody, um, you know, you probably think this. And what that person's doing is going like, he cares what I think of him. Yes. And the other thing, Bart, that resonates with your counterpart is who does that? Who takes a negative light at the beginning of a difficult conversation and points it back at themselves? There is not a more courageous and selfless act that you can demonstrate to another person than to say, I know you think I'm a piece of crap. Yeah. Again, deferential and subordinate. There you go. I, I, I like you. I'm sure you have a lot more to teach me, but I can't learn that much more in one day. 
Um, I'm just going to, I'm just like tactical empathy, dude. I will be holding that for a while now. Um, that's a beautiful thing. So, so the book is out there. Book is out there. It's right behind my head here. We're at, we're actually uh, setting up for a relaunch in October. Some bonus content and uh, some um, we we cleared up some some copy editing that was missed the first time around. So we we cleaned it up. We're going to relaunch it in uh, October with some bonus material that'll be uh, beneficial to parents dealing with adolescents. Oh yeah, I could I could see this be beneficial to parents kind of thing. All right, so I'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Don't worry about it. Like I, I, when I intro you. I'll put all that stuff and then there'll be all the links will be there. Um, Thank you. So if there's something that like you think like, yeah, but don't forget this link, like send it to me. But I think we have all the stuff that we need from your assistant. To, to, and so I'll, I'll, I'll intro the conversation and then I'll close it out afterwards and reiterate all that stuff. Beautiful. Derek, this is, this is, I, this is really helpful to me, man. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, glad. I'm, I'm really grateful for your time. And, 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 and you're right. Like, you're like, it isn't like this. It is this. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a lot of people who have a lot of broken, painful conversations with people who are in such a, and there's fear on both sides and hurt on both sides. And this is just going to be really, really helpful conversation for them. Well, I, that's, 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 as I mentioned earlier, uh, it may have been before we started recording. That, that's what this is all about. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a buck. I'm just trying to make people better. You know, if, if all of us would take that position to try to make that kind of impact, if one person, each person would take that position, think of how much better the planet would be. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you know, all, all these people should not, I mean, you go like the first question somebody asks when you come at them this way is who does that? Mm-hmm. Hardly anybody like 99% of people don't approach me that way. And mm-hmm. you go like, what if people did approach each other and were sort of like, how are you? What's mm-hmm. and and really show that you care about the answer. Yeah, you know, and, with- and listen. Says, so so what I'm hearing is this. Is, is that it? And person goes, no, no, no. It's really this other thing. But like, what if you really did care about the emotional content of the other person and got curious about them? By the way, this is my one little. I won't make many recommendations. I'll make one for you. Okay. My favorite TV show of all time, of all time, and I have just watched it for the second time, is called Ted Lasso. It is. It is. I've seen that uh, advertised on uh, Apple Plus. Yes, it is yeah. a it is a smarmily sweet guy who is sweet like a fox, and and he's a master leader, you know, like mover of people. But there's a scene in it right towards the end of the series. It's a very short series. Very scene at the end where he talks about curiosity. Mm-hmm. When they're playing darts in the bar. Yes, yes, yes. You are, yeah. Okay, you've heard this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, just when you started talking about this, like what he's pointing out is how very rarely people approach each other the way you've just described approaching people, um, and it's a beautiful scene. And I, 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 I'm glad. I'm glad you know about it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff. And it and it and it hits the nail right on the head. Thank you. All right. Thanks, man. All right. That was it. What did you think? Did you like it? Did you like the conversation? Did you get anything? Was there anything there? Could you let me know? Because I got to tell you, I'm still learning. I am still learning. 
about how to do this. I actually listened to the Derek Gaughan interview myself. I usually don't go back and re-listen to the interviews. And I listened to it and I thought, gosh, Bart, there were about 50 things you could have done better. And I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start listening to the interviews so that I can make them better. Because I want this podcast to become better and bigger and more helpful and all those things that you want something you care about to do. I want my granddaughter to become bigger and better and more wonderful. And I want this podcast to become bigger and better and more wonderful. So help me out. Give me feedback. You know how to do it. Humanizemepodcast.com. That's the place to go. And uh, I'll see you next time on Humanize Me. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life.